Welcome to The Inner Room, a study where we review highlights on daily scriptures and focus on the instructions and examples they provide to learn mastery of our emotions, to guide us in our spiritual journey, to learn to pray, worship, and listen to God's will for our lives. Hello, this is Sofia Fonseca de Niño, and I welcome you to this inner room. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the inner room, Emotions in the Bible. And we would love to hear your questions, your ideas, or your comments. Thank you for joining us today. What do you strive for in life? We strive in life for many things, fame, fortune, happiness, well-being, comfort, beauty, knowledge. Think about how we inspire our children, the kinds of things we press them to do or to know, how we inspire them. What do you find yourself telling them? Get good grades, share your toys. If they're older, don't drink and drive. If you have nothing to say, then say nothing at all. Get a job. Paul inspires us today in a reading from 1 Corinthians to strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. To strive eagerly. And not for fame or fortune or happiness or beauty, but for love. He tells us clearly that love is the greatest gift of all. And yet how often is that not a word we say, I love you, or do you love me? But really something we strive eagerly for. What does that mean to strive eagerly for love? You've probably heard this reading at a wedding. It is a typical reading for funerals as well. I recently heard it at the planning session for my grandmother's funeral. And I didn't know it was also very famous for funerals. Paul wants to tell us about an excellent way, about the best way to live our lives. So it makes sense that this reading would be read as an option at the beginning of married life. And also as we ponder on the life of someone that has passed, a life well lived. It is a very typical reading and you've heard it. Love is patient, love is kind. It has a definition of what love is and what love is not. And before that, Paul mentions all the gifts that can be part of the body of Christ. Maybe somebody speaks in tongues. Maybe somebody has the gift of prophecy. Maybe somebody comprehends the mysteries and all knowledge. Maybe somebody has faith that moves mountains or is generous and gives everything away. None of these is as worthy as love. We have to ponder that. What does that mean? How do I apply that to my life? None of these is as great. Love is patient, love is kind, and then Paul describes all the things that, that love is not. If you're being jealous about anyone, how someone is spending their time, or what they have, or what they say, then you're not in love. If you're pompous, speaking grandiosely, and if you're inflated, or if you're rude, if you're seeking your own interest, if I am quick-tempered or I'm brooding over injuries, or I am saying, well, they deserve that, 
rejoicing over wrongdoing, then I'm not loving. And somehow we separate these things, don't we? We say, I love you, my honey. But then maybe we are rude to them. Well, then they were not loving. We have to find a way to eradicate that. Strive eagerly to eradicate these things that are listed. If I'm being jealous, or you don't spend time with me, or you're better with your, you're more with your friends, then we are not loving. That doesn't mean that we don't have to establish a boundary or make a request for what we need. But if we're quick-tempered, then we're not loving. So let's be mindful of the striving eagerly that Paul invites us to. That we rejoice in truth, that we bear all things, that we believe all things, that we hope all things, that we endure all things, that we don't fail because it is the greatest gift of all. Paul reminds us that all we can do in life will be partial at the end of this reading of today in Corinthians. But one day we will know in full. And this portion reminds me of Thomas Aquinas who wrote volumes on the Summa Theologica about God. And after he had written three great volumes, was writing the last one, and he had a vision of heaven. And the vision was so incredible that he wanted to burn what he had written, saying that it could never do justice to what he had seen. Thank goodness he didn't do that. He didn't finish the last volume, but he didn't do that. Right now, however much prophecy we know, or mysteries we know, or tongues we speak, all we have is partial understanding, wisdom, knowledge, prophecies. But one time, the perfect will come. And at that point, we will know fully. And at that point, we will be looked at for the love that we practiced, that we sought eagerly. Because out of faith, hope, love, after, out of all the virtues that are, that are available, love, and not our understanding of love, but this very compelling understanding of love that Paul portrays today, is what we will be called to say, what did you strive for? The psalm today is Psalm 33. Blessed the people the Lord has chosen to be his own. And then the psalmist describes a series of verses that talk about praising God and the works that God has made being trustworthy and the love that God has for what is right and just. In a Bible study this morning with a group of working women, today's leader, Brandy, asked a profound question. In a scale of 1 to 10, how loved do you feel by God? Ponder that question. How loved do you feel by God? Can you believe that God the Father loves you as much as he loves his son Jesus? And if not, what's the barrier? What is stopping you from saying, 10, God loves me a 10. That barrier is the one that is preventing us also from understanding love fully. Because only when we can understand how God loves us, when we can feel that love, when we can see that love in action, in the depths of our heart, then we can in any way begin to love someone else. Until then, everything we are doing is partial and it's full of shadows. The shadows of our own ego and of our own selfishness and of our own needs and desires, clouding the ability to feel how God loves us. 
and then turn around and practice that kind of lavish, abundant, everlasting, overwhelming love that God has for us. So let us remember in today's verses in Psalm 33 that God has chosen you and me to be his own. As we say, let us give thanks to the Lord on the harp. Or maybe you play another instrument. I play a little bit of the guitar. And sing to him a new song. Pluck the strings skillfully with shouts of gladness. So maybe you're singing in the shower or in the car if you're driving into work these days. Or in the kitchen while you're cooking or if you're gardening outside or maybe you're biking. I do that sometimes when I was biking. I haven't biked for seven weeks because my knee's still in recovery. I'm on week eight. Oh, goodness, eight. And it has been hard for two months not to be able to exercise the way that I was that I was doing. So life will interrupt, intercept, and we have to shift. We have to be flexible. We have to find another way to to uh, sing to the Lord when the way that we are doing is not working for whatever reason. Right now that my son is gone, I'm using the study. But while all of us are working in the house and the bandwidth is is uh, tested and everybody has to be away from everybody else's hearing uh, radius so that everybody can be on Zoom calls, um, I have shifted things around, desks around, rooms around, So we have to be flexible. The same thing with God. God has chosen us and as life goes up and down, we we have to find a way to keep returning our face to the Lord, lifting it up, finding the divine perspective because the Lord is trustworthy. This is one that I'd like to pray also with you. Blessed the nation whose God is the Lord. As we approach Rosh Hashanah that I'm telling you is coming up at sunset this this Friday. And we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for peace and for a hedge of protection over the nation. As we come into the fall that COVID-19 may be found uh, to, to be solvable. That we have a solution and medication that there is a, a, a way that inventors and scientists and doctors are guiding us to a cure. And that as we approach the elections, we may find ways to converse with one another, that we may find ways to reach across the aisle and find common ground, and that we may be civil, that we may share with generosity. So let us pray that, that the people that he has chosen, which is all of us, may turn our eyes to God. And now let us turn to the gospel where Jesus has some words. The gospel reading for today is Luke 7, uh, verse 31. So let's take the beginning of Paul's reading today from Corinthians. Strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts And I will show you a still more excellent way as we think about Jesus' words in today's gospel. Because he says, to what shall I compare the people of this generation? He was talking to the people in his time, of course, but he could ask that question of today's world. And the answer he gives at that time is, they're like children sitting in the marketplace to call one another and complain. And isn't that just us on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter? A lot of complaining, a lot of bickering in the marketplace, behaving in immature ways, bickering with each other rather than building each other up. 
So Jesus tells us that we are immature and we focus on the outward expressions of things, on the appearances, on the conversational tones, and we don't go beyond the complaints. The way things look are not always the way things are when we are looking from the inside out. And we tend to look at them from the outside in. At that time, the conversation about the disciples of John the Baptist versus the disciples of Jesus caused a lot of confusion for the people that were watching these two cousins talk about the kingdom of heaven. We have John the Baptist in the desert wearing camel hide and eating locusts and honey and he didn't drink or party or do anything. He lived in the desert and his disciples saw him baptize Jesus. So there was a huge controversy about, hey, why does this guy do it this way? And then Jesus is gathering with his disciples and partying and he's multiplying wine. What is going on? That doesn't seem very godly. So they're comparing and contrasting. They don't understand that John the Baptist is laying the path for Jesus and that as the last prophet to fulfill the telling of the story that the Messiah was coming, he had the unique role of anointing Jesus in his humanity as he recognized his divinity. And we know that John the Baptist didn't drink or uh, do anything evil. And then people still thought that he was possessed by a demon. And that when Jesus did the opposite of that, they called him names. That is part of what we do, isn't it? We don't look at the essence of people. We complain about the outward things. We don't take a moment silently to say, how does God see them? Who are they to God? Why would they say these things about John the Baptist? And of course, Jesus is God himself. And Jesus offers us the best way to turn our eyes up to God because we find them often in prayer with his Father. And we are allowed in that little whisper where he is, Jesus is turning his eyes to God, to Jehovah the Father, and thanking him and praising him and bringing supplications for all of us as he prays for all of us. Let us then strive eagerly for the best gifts that come only when we feel the love of God in our hearts, when we can say that we have felt the love of God, that he has forgiven us, that he has given us abundantly, that he has cherished us, then we at that point can turn around and share that in the same way with those that are around us. Let us pray. Father, Turn our eyes to you. Help us strive eagerly for the greatest gifts. Let us turn our ways to your way. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.